Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shiniso Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my TV work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and that you're as inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of controls engineering. Hi. Hello, Shani. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this uh, pretty unique podcast in the sense that no one's going to know about all your accolades and your achievements. Um, How do you feel about not being able to sort of uh, celebrate your amazing CV? Well, I think it's a it's a very good question. If you had asked me that question about 15 years ago, I probably would have been um, stricken. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, one of the lessons I learned early on, probably about seven years into my career, when I went through a brief period of unemployment, was how to answer the question, who are you, without mm-hmm. being an engineer. Because I'd always been an engineer. I'd been tied to the technical field and that gave me some sense of ego satisfaction Mm. and I went through a seven month period which is actually the longest period I've actually been unemployed I'm a spiritual person and and if you are that's great if you're not that's fine too but I actually did go through a process where I felt like I was being worked on to figure out who are you outside of your accomplishments and outside of what you do Mm. for a living so yeah so now it definitely doesn't bother me at all to, to answer that question. Was seven months enough to answer that very gigantic question, who am I? It it was a start because this was a period that happened back in 2003. So we're talking 15 years ago. Mm. So it was, I would say it was a start that definitely laid the foundation. And I've been able to build upon that from that. Yeah, it's odd isn't it because it feels like a lot of people are faced with that question at some point in their lives yes and it can be terrifying yeah (laughs) do you think you used stem as a way of answering that question Definitely so, because it forced me to, to ask the question, is this something that makes me happy? Is this something that I really want to do? Is this a part of the contribution I want to make to the world when I hopefully have the benefit of reflecting on my life and saying, okay, did I, do I have any regrets here? Mm. So STEM has definitely played a huge role, and I, I can foresee it continuing to. I feel like that's 
uh, is a part of my destiny, and it's something that I can't ever see myself not enjoying what I do, um, and not trying, you know, not enjoying the problems that I solve, but not enjoying using math because it's always been something very easy for me. Right. I mean, I have to admit that I actually used engineering as a way of trying to create who I thought I was. I thought I was mathematical. I thought I was um, scientific. And so I pursued those avenues in order to be the person I thought I was. Did you have that same thought process? And if not, what thought process did you have? Well, for for me, um, I don't think I was really conscious of it because I think my journey in STEM, in fact, I know my journey in STEM started when I was in elementary school because I was always really good at math. And this was I grew up in the 70s, 1970s, and um, I didn't hear the chatter of, oh, you're a girl, you're not supposed to be good at this, because I guess I had a, a very good support system with family and parents who just said, hey, just, you know, excel, do what you, you know, what, what you want to do, and they kind of let me, um, guided me towards figuring out what that was, um, and my father, he's got a degree in math, so I'm pretty sure genetically I probably got that from him, and my mother, mm-hmm. she's very strong in other areas. And I was, I was just naturally good at it. So I didn't have a point of reference for engineering or even what that looked like or felt like until I got to high school and I had a high school counselor telling me, hey, you know, you're good at math and science, you know, why don't you consider engineering? Which, and I didn't know what engineering was at that point. I had no point of reference. Yeah. So it, it's definitely been a journey of figuring that out and recognizing, oh, wow, um, I do like a challenge. I've always liked a challenge, not realizing that, oh, you, the reason why you have engineers is because there's problems that have not been solved and there are no solutions, right, that are conscious that you're conscious of. It's up to you to figure that out or bring that solution into manifestation. So going back then to when you were younger, um, you were just following what you were good at. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's it. I mean, you've nailed it. And the, the irony of it is really good at math. Science, I, I had to work at. And I'd say I was, I was good at a lot of things in school, but math was one of those that I could, I didn't even have to work at it. And I don't want to say it's a sense of laziness, but it's almost like when you're a kid, you don't embrace the challenge always. Mm. So I always just did what I was easiest at. The, you know, I'd get math homework and I mean, I could do it in a matter of a few minutes and I always got A's and A's in math. I mean, I think the only time that I ever got a B that I recall was in college. And that was because we had four semesters. You have a mechanical engineering degree, just like I do. We had four semesters of calculus. And so out of those four semesters, one semester, I got a B, the other three, I got, I got A's. It just was just, it's just the way I, I just felt like that was the way I was wired. So. So it sounds like from a really early age, you were following your natural path. Very much, very much so, very mm. much so. So then how did it become controls engineering? <laughs> a very good, very good question because I get that question a lot in, in the field, especially early on because, you know, people have kind of these boundaries and they figure most of the time controls engineering, it's tied to electrical engineering mm. um, majors or electrical engineering technology in that arena. And one of the things I learned about engineering is that really it's just about teaching you how to think. And a lot of the stuff that you learn within mechanical or the other types of disciplines that are engineering related, you can apply to other other arenas. It's always about energy and how does that energy show up? And so when it comes to controls engineering, 
when I was looking for, you know, getting close to graduating from college and looking for a job, uh, we had information sessions. And so the company that I went to work for after I graduated college, uh, they came in and I had signed up for like some kind of a sales engineering type of role because they were pretty specific in saying, okay, for sales engineering, we're looking at these people with these degrees for um, more of the field engineering or controls engineering work. We're looking for people with these degrees and they didn't actually have mechanical listed there. So I just said, okay, let me just go with sales engineering and see what happens. And so I went to the information session and it was, it was very exciting what they were showing me, all of the different equipment that they were working with and how um, it just, I just, I, I almost felt like a kid in the candy store. I was like, oh man, it's, this could be really cool, you know, being able to work on this kind of equipment and make these plants do what they're supposed to do and figure out problems and all kinds of things. And so I went into the interview the next day and the first question that the lady asked me um, was, well, why do you want to do sales engineering? Why do you want to be a sales engineer? And I had kind of a come to like, just be present and say, okay, do I want to be honest and tell her, you know what, maybe not sales engineering yet, but I'd want to do this. Or I just, do I just kind of fake my way through the interview? Yeah. Right. As a lot of people tend to fake their way through life. Oh, because this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Let me just follow this path. Yeah. These and are so the expectations. I didn't realize that was, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so and that I didn't realize that to looking back that that was probably my biggest step from a courageous standpoint was to say, well, you know, actually that does sound in interesting, but the field engineering controls engineering role sounds a little more interesting to me because I, I didn't believe that I could sell something very effectively until I understood how it worked. Right. So that's, that was kind of my perspective um, in wanting to be someone who was involved in the details. Mm -hmm. So I, I was honest with her. I said, well, actually that's, that's kind of what I'd be interested in. And she said, well, she said, well, you know, at the end we've got everybody scheduled for interviews. I said, but at the end of the day, why don't you come back, you know, and this was in the morning, why don't you come back around, you know, three or four in the afternoon and we'll talk to this gentleman here who's, you know, interviewing for the, um, for the controls engineering roles. And so that's what, you know, as I wow. say, the rest is history. So was the attraction, the company working for that particular company then? Well, I think it really was, it must've been the description of the company because I, I had no experience, didn't know anybody who worked for that company, had never even heard of it until I saw it on the list. So it had to have been something. And I, I can't even, that's a good question, Shani. I can't even put my name on I can't put my finger exactly on what it was about the company, but I think I looked at it and said, oh, okay, this looks like it could be something, you know, interesting. Let me go ahead. I need a job <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, let me, let me follow up on this. And that was also, um, I'm glad you asked that question because at the time of the interview um, with this company, uh, I had been in a situation where my whole motivation for going into mechanical engineering is that I wanted to go work for a it was a particular car manufacturing company out of college because I just was fascinated with automobiles. And what had happened was I was graduating in May. I had this interview on-site interview with this company in January. And so, you know, as a kid, you're thinking, oh, if I just work hard and study hard, everything's going to fall into place the way I want it to, mm -hmm. as, as we all chuckle now, <laughs> looking back. <Yeah. laughs> and lo and behold, I didn't simple. get the job. <laughs> I know if only life was that simple, yeah. right? And so it's like looking, <laughs> looking, looking back. So as as you can probably see where I'm headed, I didn't get the job, right? I didn't get the job there, so I was devastated 
And I remember talking to my parents. I'm like, I'm just, I don't know what to do, you know, because I've been working towards this one thing that I mm-hmm. want to do and I want to work for this company and they won't hire me. Right. So, you know, I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to coast through the last semester. It's going to be all good. And then I'm like, oh, expletive. It's <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that was part of what was driving me too. Was like I said, well, I need to find a job. Let me explore and see what else I could possibly be interested in. And I'm so glad that it worked out that way because, you know, this was in the mid 90s when I was graduating college. And the career that I've had and the experiences I've had since then, I could have never had that going to work for that other company. And it's so ironic because I still wound up doing work indirectly for that company because oh, wow. they're involved with, you know, they use controls engineers. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's funny how things work. It's so interesting how we have a such a simplistic plan, but the universe kind of makes it so much more, not complex, but the universe does make it so much more of an interesting journey. It's not just point A to point B. It's actually a lot of zigzags in between. That's certainly been my life experience. How about you? Definitely so. I, I agree. Um, especially looking looking back on it, it's nice to see, oh, okay. Some some of the answers were I was wondering why at the time. And, you know, people have a dramatic, oh, why, why, why? And it's not working the way I want. And, mm. and I go back to that seven months of unemployment period that I had. I'm glad I had it early on in my career. Yeah. Um, I had probably about five or six years of experience when I hit that um, that wrote, quote unquote road bump that was necessary because at the time I was tra- traumatized by it because when I had never been, you know, laid off from a job before and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? When I, I can't call myself an engineer because technically I'm, I'm not really because I'm, I'm not working as one. So who am I and, and that sort of thing. And I think that that, that challenge I ha- had early on kind of helped me with other things that happened in my career since then. So as things have kind of gone up and down, I'm like, you know, I kind of feel like, okay, I got this. You know, I know the universe is going to look out for me. Um, I know the universe is a compassionate, a good place. And it's not, you know, out there trying to to put roadblocks in Mm. front of me. In fact, even take it a step further. um, The the thing I do love about it, I, 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 when I talk like to women, a lot of times I talk with them through my nonprofits and things like that tied to STEM. I talk about um, it's very similar to like going to the gym and weight training. When you see these mu- these people that are bodybuilders that have built muscle, mm. you know, in order to build the muscle, they have to have resistance. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't just sit there and just pray your way into getting, you know, getting a more attractive physique when it comes to building muscle. You, you have to have resistance. Right. So whether it's physical, you know, through the gym or in this case, spiritual or, you know, just life lessons and things. You know, those challenges, when I look back on them, and a lot of times they felt like they were catastrophic at the time, they have all been a part of, um, you know, making, building my character, I guess. Yeah. You know, I can't, it's tough to build character when everything is going nice and smooth, although nice and smooth feels great. But a lot of times the grit and everything thing that you have to go through, that's, you know, you have to go through some challenges in order to get that. It's so amazing to hear you talk about your hindsight with with love, essentially. I mean, you know, I'm sure at the time you were like, ah, this feels so awful. But now you can look back and just say, no, I really built strength of character and tenacity and faith. It, that's, that's, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. Because when I think about challenges now, I'm working at a company um, where I get to do some really cool things. And I, I run into these different challenges. And one of the 
challenges we had, one of the problems that I had to fix, it was something that had been, uh, when I took the position, it had been going on for probably six or seven months or a little bit longer. And because of my experience, when I looked at it and I started, you know, everybody else had kind of been bringing their own stuff to the table and saying, well, you know, it's been a while to, you know, we've had this problem for a long time. No one's been able to fix it. And it literally took me three days to find the problem. Because I come in with a, of all that stuff that I've been through. Had I not been through those things, you know, I wouldn't have had this. I could have looked at that and been like, oh, my God, I'm working with all these really, really smart people in an environment. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the company name or not. But I'm working with a lot of really, really smart people. <laughs> and if, you know, that would be definitely an environment where had I not gone through what I went through, I would have been, you know, really intimidated and I wouldn't have been able to step up yeah. in the moment. Yeah, adversity um, and challenges in life are really what build us you know it's it's where we build our character um and it's such a great takeaway message because i think uh we do live in a day and an age where when things get tough people give up uh more than they ever have um it's kind of you know whether it's a job or whether it's actually a romantic relationship people go oh this is too hard i'm i'm moving on to the next thing and uh, it's not as binary as, you know, give up or stay in it. I think there is a gray area in between. But certainly I come from, you know, uh, a family where you do, you do try and make it work uh, to a certain degree rather than giving up. Yeah. What's your view on that? I actually come from a, a similar background with, with my family. I mean, my parents... Um... They have their own successes, definitely. They're both, um, you know, they're both college educated. They both were born, um, you talk about backgrounds, you know, I'm a woman of color. And uh, in the U.S., they were both born in a time when things were still segregated from a race standpoint, and they were born in the South. And so for them to have gone through what they went through and still have gone to college, my father um, was an officer in the military and retired um, as Lieutenant Colonel from the Air Force. And my mother actually um, retired from NASA, from the NASA Space Center in, in Houston, Texas. Oh, wow. So their standards, and, and not only that, she was one of the first um, blacks, in fact, not one of the first, the, the first um, in Panama City, Florida, she actually integrated the Social Security office. She was the first black hired. And so the challenges wow. that they've gone through being the first black in the first, you know, person of color in mm -hmm. these environments. And then having me, um, when you talk about the spiritual aspect, I can definitely see why my parents are the perfect parents for my experience. I've been through, mm -hmm. they prepared me for being the first of this, or the first of that, and not, not to be intimidated by, by the moment. And so they, they set the standard, probably, probably very similar to your family that, okay, you're definitely going to have adversity because they faced adversity I can't even compare to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but you're going to get through it. You know, you're going to get through it. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, for anyone that is listening whose parents are not co college educated, but they would like to get a college education. It's not necessarily the case where, you know, you can only achieve certain things because your parents have exactly. achieved them before exactly. you. It's just really the inspiration that they were able to get through something difficult, even if it's nothing to do with STEM or anything else. Like, it's just seeing people behave like role models where you just think, if they can do it, I can do it. 
that's I think you nailed it because you know I was blessed to have that environment um, with my parents, and I think the reason why I was blessed, thinking about the time frame, is when I did you know graduate and I went into STEM. You know, still very very few um, very few women, so I'm glad I had that. Whereas now, if I were coming out of college. I think there's a lot more opportunity for mentorship or even going into college if you're in high school or junior high. I think there's a lot more opportunity for mentorship of women in STEM where you have that and it doesn't matter, you know, what your parents' background is or what they went through. Mm. So, you know, definitely my story, everybody has their own unique story, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not a limitation or or it has to be this way or that way. It's, there's so many different paths and so many different ways to get to where you're wanting to go. Yeah. So were your parents your primary role models or were there others? They were, they were definitely the primary role models. Um, one of the challenges that I grew up enjoying was I was a big sports fan. And um, a lot of my, when I think about like some of the years, because I moved around a lot with my dad being, you know, transferred to different stations and locations every three or four years we were moving. But there's a four year time period that really solidifies uh, with me in terms of my experiences and what I went through. And we were living in Colorado Springs. And so I had friends of all kinds of backgrounds, but I had a primary group of friends that I spent a lot more time with that happened to be all guys. And I love sports. We played football and things like that. And so it could have been very easy for me to look at football players and say, okay, this person's, you know, I want this football player to be my role model. But when I look back on it, that was never the case for me. I mean, I admired what they did because I loved watching it. But my parents were who I, you know, looked to and craved, you know, approval or craved. I cared about what they thought more so than about, you know, trying to meet some kind of a celebrity or, or something mm. like that. Yeah. So. And what has it been like being a woman in STEM? Definitely, uh, definitely has had its challenges and as well as its rewards. Um and I've seen it change a lot. Um, I'm in a situation now, having been um, in this in this career for over 20 years now, where now I don't feel like I'm I, don't, I stick out quite as much because there's more. I'm seeing more and more women in in STEM fields and in engineering that sort of thing. Whereas before, even when I first started, it felt you know new in my career. It felt kind of like kind of a lonelier place. I had I had some friends who you know graduated college with who were women going into going into engineering and so I had that good a good support group which was a blessing, but just in my immediate surroundings with coworkers, it, it definitely felt isolating sometimes um, because a lot of times you're not aware of whatever your your social stuff I call it stuff because everybody comes up in, a, in an environment where you take on certain beliefs or what have you um, of, about any kind of a group. It doesn't have to be strictly gender, but since we're talking about women in STEM, I'll focus on that, on that arena. And so, you know, a lot of times uh, men and have their views about women that they're not even conscious of, just like women have their views about men that a lot of times we're not even conscious of. And so when you start to interact with different genders, you know, and you're not used to interacting with that gender in that environment, sometimes some of that stuff comes to the surface. And that's the blessing when you think about the universe and why I come into, when I think about why I've been, I have interacted with people. A lot of times it's a bigger, um, there's a bigger story involved. And it's not just about that one particular interaction. Um, it's not about that one situation, whether it's, you know, good or bad, because I look at it as all, as all good for 
whether it's a lesson I've learned or whatever the case may have been. Um, It's one of those scenarios that, like I said, it's helped me grow a lot. It's a blessing because you've had the opportunity to increase in self-awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Although at the time, you know, (laughs) I I realized that now whenever I come across challenges, oh, this is the opportunity. I realized that now very quickly. Back then when I was first starting, I didn't realize it then. I just kind of, I didn't want to, I don't want to say I felt like a victim. I think that's kind of a strong term, but I did, you know, struggle with certain challenges. And the question was, okay, how do I deal with this in this situation? And there weren't very many women that I was aware of that were in STEM that I could ask that question, that I could ask. All of the women that I knew were at my experience level, so they hadn't really dealt with that. You know, some of the challenges that uh, that I had been dealing with, um, right. especially working controls engineering with advanced manufacturing. You know, in an industry that's you know primarily you know primarily male. So, how did you cope at that time? Well, I actually did have I had some support from areas that I wouldn't have expected because I had some of the people who. I was able to talk, address a little bit with, even though they couldn't get a full understanding. Some of my mentors were guys uh, at that time. Um, I did, I did have one female mentor that really stands out as somebody who I, I, I didn't even think she physically existed because when I got hired on with a particular company, um, one of the first questions I had asked about because I knew mentorship was very important. I said, "Well, you know, who else in the company, you know, is, is in the company that's a female engineer that can help me?" And I got a I got a shocking answer. They're like, "Well, you're the only one." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" So, where where do I go for you know this you know in terms of getting mentorship? And it turns out yeah. the the HR vice president, you know, she realized, okay, we need to make sure that you have a supportive environment. So she actually went outside of the company to find someone. And within the consulting company that was you know had provided mentors, I had written down my ideal mentor. Didn't I didn't think she existed. I thought, well. I'm probably the only woman of color that's in this particular field. I'm thinking about, well, this person doesn't exist, and they found her. Turns out, she was somebody who who I was who actually did provide mentorship for me, and I could ask all of those questions about, well, how do you deal with this when someone's assuming that you're the secretary and that you're not an engineer, and they're mm-hmm. looking at you like, you know, why aren't you pouring the coffee, you know, those kind mm-hmm. of things, and you know, and and maintain your grace and not lose, you know, not get upset, and not get frustrated, and you know, not break down and how can you say it in a way that is not high in sarcasm? Because my 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 personality tends to be high in sarcasm and not necessarily the most <laughs> the most conducive if you're dealing with somebody, you know, who thinks that they have the right to make that assumption about you. So those kind of things. Well, hats off to you uh, for even being able to accept the help of a mentor because I think a lot of women who do go into STEM tend to be really self-sufficient and not the kinds of personalities that accept help because to accept help is almost like admitting that you're not self-sufficient that's that's a very good point um i will say this the thing that comes to mind and like i said that's a very good point the thing that comes to mind is that a lot of the women i see going into stem they're they're at a younger age they're in their 20s and so a lot of times, um, just the approach of, of if you have, um, you know, if you have a respect for those that have, you know, a little bit more life, life experience, as long as they respect you, you know, in return, and they're not talking to you like you're a child, 
Um, for me, even though I've, I've had this self-sufficient, oh, I can do it, you know, kind of an attitude, um, mm. there was a part of me, and that was another thing I kept in mind. My mentors, none of my mentors were my age. They were always older, at least, you know, when it came to talking about different challenges and things. And because of the, the age difference, I respected that because I knew that they had more experience doing what it was I wanted to do. But I can definitely see right. that to be a challenge um, of being able to accept help. In fact, I'll talk to you about something, something that comes to mind when you bring that up is because, you know, even this is in life, not even just within STEM. I remember the specific experience I had when I was, uh, I remember I was flying into Atlanta. It was one of the areas where I was living at the time. And so flying into Atlanta and I went to take like a shuttle bus to, I think out of the rental car location or something along those lines. And I remember getting into the car or getting into the shuttle bus and I'm so used to being self-sufficient. I'm, you know, getting ready to close the door behind me thinking that's what I want to do. Well, I caught the, I caught the appearance and the reaction of the gentleman who was providing the service. And he almost looked like he was disappointed that, wow, I mean, she, she wants to do everything for herself. I mean, I can't even do this for her. And that's when I realized, yeah. Oh, wait a second. This is not just about me proving that I'm this, that I'm that, that I can do this. It's sometimes it's a very good space to be in when you know you can do it and you don't have anything to prove to anyone to give somebody the gift of being able to provide the service for you. And it's not, it's, it's, it's uh, a very powerful thing. And I caught it in that moment. Mm -hmm. It took me seeing that. And I was in my thirties at the time. I was like, wow. Okay. And ever since then, I've been a lot less, Oh, I can do it by myself because I know I can, mm -hmm. but I'm not so much improving, excuse me, proving it to somebody or having to show them, Oh, I can do this on my own. I don't need you to do Da, 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 da. And I realized in, you know, looking back the last 10, 12 years, it hasn't weakened me. If anything, it's made me a lot more compassionate um, towards people who actually do need help and not judging them for it because you never know what's going on in the situation, you know, so. Right. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, that is, I mean, it's, that's so profound. And I have goosebumps right now because I really feel like so much of my life was filled with um, kind of self-righteousness and kind of anger in constantly feeling this need to prove myself as a woman in a very male-dominated world. And actually, as I've matured and um, gained experience, I'm realizing that um, when you know it for yourself, the things that you're trying to prove to the world, when you know those things for yourself, you don't need to prove right. anymore. And it's such a, that's such a indicator of maturity, I think. I, I, I agree. And, and it's a relief for me because what I rec come to recognize is, you know, you carry that energy with you. You can, you know, you can sense it when people walk into the room, if, when certain people, how people respond to you. Um, and that's one of the things I recognize. A lot of times you don't have to say anything. It's just the confidence you have about who you are and how you want to be treated. And like, I'll give you a prime example. As soon as I had that, that kind of epitome, I had men opening doors for me left and right. Like I, it wasn't like I was even looking for it. <laughs> I would just, you know, I would walk up and they would, it just, it would just, you don't even, I don't even expect it. It's just kind of like, and I would, you know, I, I can open my own door. I mean, I'm definitely capable, but you know, let them, you know, provide that, you know, that service and share that, that brief moment of, okay, 
you know, the chivalry thing and, and not even have to be sexist about it or anti-sexist or whatever the terminology is. But it, it really is an energy thing. And I, I think it's very powerful to be able to to just walk the walk and you don't have to say anything. And doesn't mean people will, will stop making their assumptions. They will. But you I feel like um, for me, I've been able to respond in a way that that where the anger is dropped down to it's where it's, there's still a little bit of it there. But I realize, you know what? This person has their world, and I can't judge them for how they were raised. Just like I don't want them judging for me, judging me for making an assumption about them that I might have made because I prejudged something external. So, right, and it all comes back down to just knowing yeah. yourself, knowing who yeah. you are. The amount of times I have had men standing with the door in their hands, holding it open for me, <laughs> and I've like walked to another door and they're just like door to the floor just going why hasn't she walked through the open door why has she like struggled to open the door herself and I've like you know on the other side of the door just going I'm so sorry I didn't I didn't even I didn't even think that you were going to do that for me because I'm so used to fighting a battle on my own um and yeah just sort of like easing into this idea that the universe is there to help you rather than be against exactly. you. Um, but I have to say that sort of being a woman in STEM has um, put me on that journey of discovering uh, who I am because uh, I haven't, for most of my STEM career, I haven't really been in alignment with who I am. Like, yes, I was good at maths. Yes, I was good at um, STEM subjects. but uh, that wasn't all of me. So it's just been, it's been a journey of self discovery. Right. Right. I, I can, I can definitely get with you on that. Cause I, I look at how the things that I have experienced and the opportunities that I have had to meet different people from all over the country and all over, as well as all over the world. Um, you know, a lot of that has come from because of my, my career, you know, in STEM. So it's definitely, it's kind of like what you make of it. I mean, it's like there's there's no, as you, as you already know, there's no one way to do it. You know, you can do it the way you want to do it, you know, um, and live your life the way you want to live it. And, and you know, make no apologies for it. You know, just be you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about you, but would you say that you have it all? I would say I have it all now. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. And uh, what does that look like for you? Uh, for me, having it all is tied to one word, and that's freedom. <laughs> uh, that's that's right. the, the freedom to create what you want and not listen to anybody else say why you can't have it. <laughs> um, one, mm-hmm. of, one of the things yeah. that I, I definitely have, have learned along the way is, you know, you get to choose what it is you want to do and not feel like you have to explain it, you know, to anybody, um, explain it to your parents or explain it to your friends when you, when you know what it is that you're wanting to do. I mean, my prime, prime, a good example of this is a lot of times with my parents, I love them dearly. A lot of times, and I don't tell them, you know, what I'm going to do until after I've booked the, booked the flight or whatever it is I'm going to do, or until I, you know, after I'm already kind of well on the way, 
Um, and they're not people who have actually stood in my way and said, okay, well, you know, have you thought about this? You can't do this. They know I'm, I'm a pretty free spirit. Uh, but that, that applies to not just family. That applies to um, just, your, just your surroundings, you know, being free to be who you are and, you know, live the life that you want to live. If, if it's, you know, I've had people tell me, before, when I talked about um, being in STEM and the different things that I want to do, well, you know, if you if you travel too much, it's going to mean that, you know, you're not going to be able to find the right relationship. I'm like, well, I've been in relationships with people who are not codependent. So if you're, if you're okay with not being codependent, you'd be surprised, you know, how you can live your life and not, not feel like you're tied down. You still have your freedom, you know, and your freedom to be who you are and the freedom to love who you are love and love the person you want to love. So those kinds of things. Um, yeah, yeah. How do you know what it is that you want? How do you know what feels right for you? Because we are bombarded with um, so many different messages. You only have to drive down the road and, you know, there's billboards telling you that you can be more beautiful. You can, you know, all these different messages that we have from society. How do you specifically know what is right for you? Well, what, what has happened for me, um, and this goes back to, I talked about kind of your spiritual, you know, what your, whatever your spiritual beliefs are. So if you're, you know, if you believe in one God or if you believe in God, whatever, whoever that God or whatever that God is, then what, you know, you can look for those signs. And for me, it's about a feeling thing. If you don't believe in God, call it the universe. It, you know, it doesn't matter. But it's something outside of yourself that's letting you know yeah. it resonates with you. And for me, a lot of the times when something just makes me feel alive um, and I just have an energetic you know, feeling about it, I know, okay, there's something to this message. Uh, a lot of times, too, part of it, uh, having for me like a meditative type practice, it helps me tune out what's considered noise. Um, and I, th mm. I think that when, okay, so let me give you an example. I, I talked about with my STEM experience, one of the things that I had mentioned is that it's led me towards um, you uh, starting a nonprofit because I recognize, you know what, we don't have enough women in the STEM field, right? And so that idea actually came to me in a way that was kind of terrifying because I'm someone who's always had, I felt like I've always, you know, kind of had control when it comes to being able to make choices, even though I know there's something bigger working on, working that I can't control everything. You know, there's a boundary there, but I've always felt like, Hey, I've been to different countries. I've been able to do all these different things. I remember visiting my dad, you know, going to Japan and recognizing, Oh, wow, I'm 16 years old trying to figure out how to get out of Narita airport you know, by myself at a time when, you know, I'm thinking my dad's supposed to meet me at the gate. This is before, you know, before 9-11 when, you know, you could, your parents could meet you at the gate. And I'm realizing I'm in a different country. I'm 16 years old. I have no clue how to get out of here. And so at that point, kind of terrified, worked my way through it and was able to get to my dad when I cleared customs and all that good stuff. Now, I had a situation just a few years ago um, where I'm, I'm in Houston, Texas, on my way to uh, a work and a work uh, to work, I'm in you know d downtown Houston, thinking, okay, it's any other day, and I had a panic attack on the freeway. Had never had never experienced a panic attack before, and I didn't know at the time what that was. I didn't have a point of reference, and so at the point it was terrifying because I really felt like I was having a heart attack and I was going to die. 
And because I had no point of reference and I'm having these palpitations, I remember having these discussions with a guy in my mind. I'm thinking, oh my God, all these times, of, all these hours I spent on a spin bike in the gym and you're going to take me through a heart attack. Are you kidding me? It's <laughs> 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 the first thought that, you know, that's my sarcastic personality. I always have been there coming to the forefront. So still having heart palpitations. I'm like, okay, sarcasm's not working. Let me try another revenue. You know, I said, I said, well, you know, I'm the only child of my parents. You can't take me now. They're still living. I mean, all kinds of, you know, I'm, calling, I'm trying to do all these negotiations. Negotiations, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to stay on the planet because I'm thinking I'm dying. <laughs> you know, and what, what I came to realize, when, when I got to work, the first thing I did, I had to look up these symptoms. I said, you know what, what happened here? Um, and when I looked it up, I said, you know what, this looks kind of looks like a panic attack. And I didn't go to a doctor and, and, you know, however you deal with this, however you deal with it. So there's no judgment about how you handle things. I didn't, I didn't go to a doctor or any of that, but what I recognized was God had to get my attention. In other words, I had to be in a situation where my ego couldn't control it to get the message through. And the message in that case was you need to create this nonprofit. This is why you're here. Right. Right. So that was more of a, that was a more catastrophic. That's, that's probably the most, um, uh, I want to say catastrophic, the most impactful method of getting the message through the more subtle methods and a lot of other different ways has been, you know, I get a book in the mail and I look at that book and I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is interesting. I had thought before about this topic that I wanted to learn more about, whether it be the stock market or whatever. And I get a book in the mail saying, talking about this, this sort of training and how does it feel to me? But at the end of the day, as logical as I am, I'm always going back to how something feels. If I meet somebody and all of the X's and O's might be lining up, that I'm supposed to do business with this person, but in my gut, something doesn't feel right, I follow my gut. Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, what gets in the way of those gut feelings and those instincts is our ego. Yeah. Um, and is our self-will, you know, and I think life is just a never-ending journey of balancing the ego and kind of that sort of like higher instinct and feeling um which is why I love meditation as well because you know when you do meditate you kind of let all of those uh all of that noise fall away you know what will that person think Mm -hmm. but you know it's expected of me that I do this and it won't look good to others if you know and all of that noise and chaos um and really get in tune with that gut feeling but it's really difficult to do that it is not an easy process to surrender the noise um often the noise can be the motivation that's a very good point i I will say this and i I love what you said about the balance um excuse me the balance of the ego um because a lot of people a lot of times people are focused on i got to get rid of my ego i got to get rid and i was like well no 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 this is not about you know, your ego gives you drive sometimes when, when, if you're wanting to meditate and you're looking at your higher self, a lot of times your med- you know, meditation is just like, okay, everything's cool. You know, your ego sometimes lets you know, hey, this is something, you know, you need to do something about this. Because as much as I've had a feeling of, oh, this, this resonates with me, I also have also had the feeling when I might read something, whether it's on social media or somewhere in the news, that angers me. And I realize, you know, I don't judge the feeling. I realize, you know, if I'm angry about this, maybe it's because I need to write about this on my blog or I, you know, I need to do something about it. So, right. you know, there, you're right. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, very much so that there's, there's definitely a balance. Um, 
And it does take, I think, a, a step. It takes an in, intentional step to say, I'm going to tune out the noise for five minutes, right? Or I'm going, and then maybe yeah. stretch it into 10 or 15. And, and, even, and even putting a number on it sometimes can be egoic, right? Just say, I'm going to tune out the noise for a few moments and take a few breaths, mm-hmm. whether you have to go into the restroom and get into a, a stall, which I've done before when I've been in, in the midst of a chaotic situation, and just kind of steady yourself. Um, so that you can get your energy right. Otherwise, sometimes, you know, you'll get into a scenario where you wind up, you're responding in a way that you, you regret later on. You're like, I could have been more loving about that, you know, or could have had a, a different approach. Yeah, it, it's really tricky. I mean, you know, it, in my um, life, I feel like my ego has really given me drive. So, you know, my ego might say, you know, I want to be the best computational fluid dynamicist that ever walked the planet and so it gives me the motivation to work hard study hard and you know um achieve but I think if I didn't have that spiritual side to me then um I wouldn't be able to achieve and say you know what I've done enough even though I haven't reached the the top of the pyramid or whatever you know it's it's it is this constant um balancing act and uh I don't think any human being has achieved it because um it's not a destination it's a journey um an ongoing journey um and so, yeah, I, I feel like hopefully in this podcast, especially, you know, this episode, it's um, important to talk about the journey of it rather than, you know, saying, you know, I've achieved it and, you know, I've cracked it. It's like, no, there's nothing to crack. It's, uh, it's an ever-evolving process. I think... Um... I agree with you in that matter because I think about um, part of what I've done in STEM um, is be an instructor. And when I say be an instructor, not, not teaching at, you know, at colleges, but teaching people who are, who are already working in the field, working in STEM and working with advanced manufacturing. And one of the things that I've discovered, you know, 99% of my students um, in this situation of teaching of probably I'd say going actually over 10 years now, I started back in 2007, 99% of, of my students have been men. So when I go in as a woman of color, as the instructor, if I didn't have that mm. spiritual foundation, I would basically be eaten alive and not necessarily by them, but yeah. by my own self-doubt, right? Because I'm going into this environment where it's all men and they're looking yeah. at me as being the expert. And I've certainly had a few challenges where, um, you know, men, you know, they have, you know, like you said, you come in with your own stuff and your own views. Um, and I never knew exactly what they were thinking, you know, at the time. Some, I'm sure some had their doubts when they saw me. You're like, okay, what, you know. And then others were like, they didn't, they didn't even, you know, add any thought to it at all. Okay, well, she, she's an instructor. I've never been in a situation where I wasn't treated with respect. Now, uh, part of that sometimes involved getting into the egoic part where <clears throat> I had, I remember I had a customer who was wanting to argue with me about the interpretation of a lesson that I had given him for a lab. And I never, I didn't take it personal, but if I didn't have that, you know, some balance between my ego and, um, and my spiritual side, 
then it would have been about, oh, I got to be right. I got to be right. I got to be right. And the big lesson I got out of that as we're going back and forth, like a tennis match, right, <laughs> is, is, you know, there's, it, it's all about perspective. And I remember, you know, I remember this discussion very clearly because it was a class with a, a customer who was trying to decide if they're going to use, um, you know, the company I was working for at that time, the manufacturer's equipment. And as we're going back and forth, um, and this is somebody who kind of had, had a reputation for having kind of a strong personality. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting because I don't just back down. You know, we'll be kind of going back and forth on it. Um, there was another person standing there as we're going, you know, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And once I realized, oh, OK, wait a second. You know, I looked at the guy who's, you know, who looked, looked like he was afraid to kind of jump in between the two. He didn't want to get knocked in, in, in between the argument. exactly at that point and he's like well hey wait a second i think he's seeing it this way you're seeing it that way he could see very clearly the two perspectives we're caught up in the argument so we can't see it so at that point that brave soul who said that's like oh (laughs) And, and it was interesting because at the end of that class when we had the course of quality assessment forms that person that i was getting into the argument with gave me perfect scores Write down the thing. Perfect. Because it was it wasn't a personal thing. It was more it might have been maybe respect thing, I'm not sure. But you know, I think he respected it. I didn't back down and I realized, okay, it wasn't a personal attack. It wasn't about me not being qualified. I knew I was qualified. He did too, but we're like we're just still kind of going looking at our different perspectives. So right. uh, I don't know how exactly how I got on that, but it, it it's something that came to my mind when I think about just um just in our environment, women in STEM and and you know, dealing um, dealing with the other gender and dealing dealing with sometimes some of the challenges that, that come into play and that a lot of times it's not personal it's a you know it's just professional yeah and I think that's what women battle with in typically male-dominated environments is that we do have different perspectives whether it's a gender thing or otherwise yeah. when there are differences in perspectives I think women have been subjected to being crushed for that. And, you know, as a woman in STEM myself, I have got to a point where I'm asking myself, have I been crushed or have I allowed myself to be crushed? Because I can do something about someone wanting to crush me. Um, That's within my control. Um, I can't stop a person from crushing me, but I can learn how to be in environments where there is a tendency to crush the woman or just anyone that has self-doubt. Right. I think you, you nailed it. It's anyone that has self-doubt. That's, that's right. what I found. That's what I found with my experience um, is that, you know, like in this case with that gentleman, we're talking about the discussion and even in the classroom, that's where the spiritual side comes into play because at the end of the day, I almost feel like, and I'm not sure if you ever watched this show. I used to watch it 10, 20 years ago, I guess, Allie, Allie McBeal. It's one of my favorites. Oh yeah. Yeah. They would all, you know, they would always show them as kids, as children a lot of times. And at the end of the day, you know, when I think about how I am in the classroom, if I'm teaching or whatever the case may be, we're dealing with grown kids. All the stuff you had when you were a kid, whether or not school was good or bad for you, a good, a good or bad experience, they bring that into the classroom. You can't, you know, you take you with you everywhere you go is what I like to say. So mm-hmm. if you focus on 
if you if you see them as a spiritual person, and if you see them as a kid, and you not treat them in a kid like in a disrespectful way. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you see, you know, what's coming to the surface, and and a lot of times, if I'm getting into a discussion where it's a potential for somebody, you know, looking like they're about to be crushed or trying to crush someone because the the ego's coming out. I always stop and say, okay, consider, you know, take a breath and say, consider this. Mm. And when I start with consider this, it opens the person up and it opens myself up too, just to having an interaction and discussion and focusing on what that person is good at. A lot of times I would look at that too and bring that into the mix of the discussion or, you know, you could bring in, if, if I knew something about the person's family or something that would, would get the energy back to a more, uh, an energy that's more, that's less about crushing the other person about the ego and trying to dominate and be better than this person and more collaborative. When you mentioned seeing someone as a child, it's not uh, because you want to overpower them right. or dominate. Right. It's more, um, you know, I have a four-year-old nephew and he is very much about his ego right now. And that's not um, because he's being malevolent in any kind of way. It's more just because um, there's no wisdom or experience of life there. Like he does think he's the center of the universe um, and rightly so when you're four years old. Um, But I think... You know, it's having the understanding of knowing that, um, you know, someone is only willing to see things from uh, the standpoint of being the center of the universe. And um, if you have doubt about your perspective, you're never going to be able to um, widen somebody else's perspective. I agree. Um, yeah, it's so fascinating because we're not, you know, as women um, with, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitating to talk about gender um, in categories because uh, I think this is just people generally. Yeah. Um, if you're not willing to consider other people's perspectives, um, it's going to be very difficult for uh, other people to consider your perspective. Very much so. Very much so. And I've caught myself. I've caught myself sometimes in discussions, realizing, okay, do I need to? Do I need to back up here and just kind of take a breath and not dominate the conversation, for example, or just um, be be mindful of the whole. You know, I'm sure you heard the saying, "Oh, you have you know two ears and one mouth for a reason." You know, to make sure that I'm listening more and coming into the interaction listening because uh, I, I agree a lot of times the stuff that I thought was about gender came from my perspective and I thought about that this is earlier or on in my career and recognizing you know as I got more experience and I got more confidence about who I was outside of engineering not just based on my own technical accomplishments but outside of engineering mm-hmm. um, that made that made the interactions you know it took a lot of the the sharpness out of the interaction where if somebody said something that I might have been offended by or I might have thought was inappropriate, I could come at them and respond in a way that wasn't attacking. Um, and it wasn't even a corrective thing, like I'm correcting you, right? It's more like, okay, cons- have you, cons- and a lot of times I said, consider this. Sometimes I ask the question, have you considered? 
you know, not so much take the right wrong out of it, take the gender out of it, take race, whatever, whatever, you know, the differences are of people, you know, that we have, because I think we're more alike if you're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint than we are different. And when you respond from that approach, I think people, I've found that people sense something is different about the approach and they might open up, they might not, there's no guarantee that they will, but at least you've, you've taken a shot from the part of you that's not egoic. You know, so if you take the shot, right. you can walk away and realize, okay, that was maybe, you know, 80% my ego. The last 20% was my saying, hey, have you considered this and do what you can? And, then, mm-hmm. you know, their response and how they respond is on them. But at least you've done, you know, you, you've taken taken the steps. I've always struggled with gender discussions um on this podcast because you know all of my guests are female because I'm trying to provide a platform for women to talk about their experiences in STEM but I've always fundamentally believed that if anything more men need to hear this podcast than women um because it is about leveling the playing field um and being prepared to be open to the other gender's perspective. Um, And because there are so few women in STEM, we don't get an opportunity to voice our perspective in STEM. And so as a minority, and I'm actually speaking about all situations where there are minorities, we don't have an opportunity to tell tell people what it's like from our perspective. Um, if people knew, they may be more compassionate towards right. us, which is why we do need more women in STEM. I, I don't even know if this question is appropriate, but do you feel like you are, let me put it this way. Do you feel you're able to truly be yourself in your career? I do. I do now. I didn't feel like that early on. Right. Um, mm. I will say early on, it was more about I was more career focused and I've got to be this way and not that way. And that goes to uh, what I mentioned early on in our discussion is I didn't have that seven months of employment to figure out who am I outside of what I do. (laughs) So for the first, I guess that's seven or eight years of my career before I hit that, that seven month uh, unemployment, you know, um, space, a lot of it was, I mean, if you don't know who you are, especially when you, whether you're a woman or what have you, or you're not clear in what your, what your beliefs are, there's always going to be somebody there willing to try to tell you, this is what you should think, or this is what you should believe. That's why it's so important to figure out who you are. So early on, I didn't Mm -hmm. feel that way. Now I feel very much like I can be myself because of how I think about the source of my good and the fact that a job or a position or a role is never the source. It's always the channel. And I also believe in a, I'm not a lack and limitation person. I'm an abundant person. And I've had life experience telling me that, okay, if this job dries up or something changes, there'll be something else coming, you know, down the pipeline for me. So that too, not being driven by fear of what's going to happen if I say this or if I'm this way, if I'm truthful, I've found that people, always appreciate honesty, whether or not, you know, you can be, you can be um, compassionate about it. You don't have to be mean or nasty, but you can be honest and direct. And I think people appreciate that more so than you're being wishy-washy because you're worried about how they're going to respond to you. Right. And because of your strength of character, 
and this strong sense of knowing who you are. I almost feel like the question I ask in every single episode is kind of inappropriate, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah, there's no inappropriate questions with me. I'm I'm an open book. Okay, well, as a woman, (laughs) obviously, we've been given um, a body that allows us to bear children. But as a woman in STEM or any kind of career, um, often we put motherhood on hold to build ourselves in our chosen field. What has been your perspective on being a woman who is able to bear children and being a woman in STEM? Well, for me, I think it's been easier than it has for um, many other women. And the reason why I say that is because I know that I've got, you know, I've got friends of all genders, but since we're talking about women and reproductive, um, I have friends who have known that they wanted to have kids early on, and that was something very important to them to do that. And I'm not one of those people where I've wanted, like, it was on my path that I, oh my God, I want to have kids and I want to do this, I want to do that, when it comes to raising a family. So that's a conscious choice that I made, and I don't think it was a scenario where I looked at it and said, oh, I'm in STEM, so therefore I can't have kids. I just never have had that strong desire to um, to have kids. Now, as I'm older, I have, I have a little bit of regret looking back at that, but then I realized, well, wait a second, I know who I was in my 20s, not, wouldn't have, wouldn't have been very good mom of material because what's required to be, I think, a good mother is the selflessness and those sorts of things. And, you know, in my 20s, I was too much about me. And uh, I yeah, you had no. Yeah, I didn't have the, exactly, and and I know I've heard stories about people saying that they changed when they had kids, but I've also seen the stories of women on the other end who, as much as they love their children, um, I could sense a tinge of regret. I gave up this in order to have this, and you know that sort of thing. And it's like I said, they love their children, but they had that tinge of regret. And I'm somebody who doesn't. Um, I have I have very few regrets uh, in in my life. Um, but I, I would say, uh, if I had been something, I will, this is something I do know about myself. If I had been someone who said, okay, you know, I want, I definitely want to have kids. I definitely want to do this. I would have figured out some kind of way to, to make it work, whether it means, you know, leaving the career for a while and coming back, which I've seen some, um, uh, some, some of my female friends do or whatever the case may have mm-hmm. been, because the calling yeah. would have been so strong that I couldn't have denied it. Yeah, I mean, it's we have to consider so much as women, um, particularly women in very sort of like male-dominated or male-driven uh, arenas. And, um, you know, I think it will continue to be... Um, not baffling, that sounds a bit strong, but it will continue to be very interesting to me how women navigate yes. through their careers and motherhood and all the other aspects of being a woman right. um, there are no right answers except for one which has come across very strongly in this episode which is that it's absolutely fundamental to know yourself you know that alone is a process and a journey And I thank you so much for 
sharing your journey with me on this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me, Shani. I appreciate it. What an incredible episode. I feel like a fundamental truth has um, revealed itself in our conversation, which is that um, out of everything we do as women in STEM or not in STEM, it's really important to get to know who you are. And in discussing that with my guest today, it feels like all other questions are answered and addressed and the universe steps in and helps you out. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave comments and catch you next week on Silence.